Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in the Huff, and if those sounds mean anything to you, you're in for an amazing show today. I am interviewing Dan Klitzner, who is the inventor of the Boppet. Those sounds, we, you know, you're going to hear a lot of them throughout this interview, but it just brings me back to my childhood, the nostalgia behind the Boppet, all the, the different ones that have been created in the last 25 years. It was a, an absolute pleasure to speak with Dan. He takes us through the beginning and how this whole project, the whole Boppet, started out as a channel changer, how it changed and evolved from that, the process of pitching it to people and finding the exact right person, the amazingness that has been uh, the Boppet craze in the last 25 years and what it was like living through that, creating something that became such a staple in you know an American toy culture. Uh, he's also going to talk, and I want to make sure just to emphasize, to listen towards the end, because he's going to talk about uh, the one-button Boppet uh, that he's created f- for his own organization, Boppet for Good. Uh, it's one button, one button, but you're going to hear that it's not as easy as it seems, and it, there's a lot of, of uh, really cool things, a lot of Easter eggs in it uh, between different voices that helped create Boppet, uh, between a charitable organization that uh, he is donating one for everyone that he sells. So just an amazing thing there. I want you to ch- make sure that you listen t- towards the end where he's going to talk all about that and how you can pick that up. Great, great uh, gift for the holiday season that's that's coming up that we're, I guess we're kind of in right now. You know, this is coming out uh, right in the middle between Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas 2022. So definitely something to put on your list. And the really cool thing is that, uh, yeah, it'll maybe introduce the next generation to Bop It. But more so, it's going to be a great, uh, great thing for somebody who grew up on it. Because uh, with that one button, you can... You know, so many different modes, play it with your family, pass it around, put it on your desk, and just hit it once for a, a nice old bop it insult. Uh, I don't want to be too much of a commercial with that. This is such an amazing conversation, a little longer than some of the other uh, podcasts because, you know, there's nothing that could be could be cut out. I, uh, I really, really enjoyed speaking with him, just the process of literally creating one of the you know, modern classics and toys. So if uh, if you at all know what a Boppet is, you're, you're going to really, really enjoy listening to, to Dan. He's an engaging guy. Never heard of it. Uh, I think you're going to learn a lot about just inventing something amazing, that process. And uh, I think it's going to want make you want to uh, go out and get that Boppet, uh, that one-button Boppet. So without further ado, here is Dan Klitzner. I'm here today with Dan Klitzner. Mr. Klitzner, how are you? I'm good, Jackson. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it very much. If you would, just introduce yourself. <laughs> I Dan Klitzner, and I am a, I'm an industrial designer and have created a lot of games, toys, and products. Some people know a game called Bop It, which is one of my most well-known, but I have a lot of others as well. And I'm from 
the Bay Area in, uh, in San, near San Francisco. And the rest we will unveil as we go. We certainly will. And I, I obviously you've already brought up the, the big guns, the, the bop it. I, I want to uh, first kind of go well before then, well before that, that mid-90s just, I guess, explosion and talk about what started your passion for inventing and then I guess more specifically inventing in the, in the toy world. Well, the passion is a great way to, <clears throat> to ask. I mean, because I am extremely passionate about it still after doing it for over 30 years. And I'm not quite sure why it's just always been that way. I love the idea of coming up with new, I new ideas and making them into something that people will play with and sort of always searching for the thing that people are going to want to play again. Like there's sort of a mm -hmm. challenge of, for myself as well, I love, I think it's fueled by the memories of kind of golden moments of those games with family or friends where I just looking back, think that was a moment, you know, I want to, I want to create, honestly, that's my goal is to create more of those moments for myself, my friends, and for all the millions of people that have said they love some of the moments that have been created from my games. I love that. That's, that's really cool for sure. And I wonder, I don't know, I don't know all of your inventions. We're going to get a little bit into it later other things other than bop it. But if you've invented in the adult world or if you haven't, uh, and I guess the bop it, heck, adults probably have just as much fun with that. But I just wonder, what do you think is harder to invent for? Do you think it's harder to invent a gadget for an adult or invent it for a kid? I feel like kids, if, if it doesn't immediately resonate with them, they just throw it out of the toy box and go to something new. So what's harder, you think? Uh, well, I really, I think it's much harder to invent games and toys, new games, and it, because they're new, you're creating a new experience. Mm. That's that is what you're creating. Think about it this way. So I started out as an industrial. I said I, I am an industrial designer, but I started out not knowing what I really wanted to do. I just knew I liked to draw a lot, create a lot of different ideas, and I went to engineering school first at UC Davis and really was uncomfortable. Didn't like it. I knew it wasn't. I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. I just didn't know what, what that was. And when I found uh, Art Center, it's a, co a college in Pasadena, which I, my dad had sent away for a catalog. He knew I was unhappy in college. And I opened this thing up and saw what industrial design was. I saw all these different gadgets and, and you know, toasters and who knows what like shovels and, and a razor, like products, like things that were like industrial design products that were really cool looking or cars. And I didn't even think about it before. And I just knew immediately that's what I want to do. I want to design stuff. Mm. And the thing is about designing stuff is it's actually mostly problem solving. Like you're, you are solving a problem. You're making something better. And it's kind of like most people have ideas about that. Right. And sometime in your life, most people listening will say, oh, I had this idea for improving, you know, my chair leg. I don't know. <laughs> it's not a great idea, but who knows, you know, or a better way to open or close something or like usually a problem they're having. And they go, I know I, I have a solution for that. But this is my slogan is, you know, uh, most people try to solve problems. Toy inventors create them. Yeah, I, I so, like that. So really, that's what your job is. You're trying to create a problem for someone else to solve, yeah. which is, right? You're creating challenges. Uh, 
and not so much for toys. A lot of toys are, are, you know, role play things that are, but they still are kind of in that way. What makes it a toy? It's a toy because you're kind of creating a little more whimsical view of something. You're, you're not really just there to solve a problem. Mm. You're there to, like I say, simplest way, create a problem, create a challenge that that's what, you know, Bop It certainly is, or many, many games or puzzles are a challenge. Literally, you're designing the challenge, someone else solves it. So that right it, it, there means it's harder to do that than it is to, I think solving problems is supernatural human behavior. Creating new experiences is different and it is hard. I, yeah, that, that answer is, is definitely powerful. If people have listened to some of the other episodes, you know, I've interviewed inventors before and they always go back to exactly what you said, that if you are a good inventor, you are solving a problem that people have if you're just going out there trying to invent something just for the sake of it, then it doesn't go so well. If you're solving a problem, there's there's where you're actually getting something. Unless you're a toy inventor, which makes which makes a ton of sense that it is creating a problem. So I, I like that. That's that's yeah. really cool for sure. I want to kind of talk uh, about. Uh, let's get to the 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 big uh, the big topic, and I guess the the biggest problem that you created, and that was in uh, what was it 1997 with the bop it how did how obviously i, I want it kind of the beginning of a bop it how did you come up with the idea how did that process work and just i mean i don't necessarily want to constrain you to one thing just run wild with the beginning of a bop it if you would well it's a great it's a great lead-in i i've been interviewed quite a bit about it but i always have something some new perspective on it you know as you the the more looking back on something you know how it changes the further away you get from it oh, so sure. the story changes but I was trying to solve a problem before mm. creating Boppet. And the problem was one of my clients as an industrial designer was a company that made remote. Well, it's called Memorex, which was known for audio tapes, but they were starting to get into consumer electronics. And they hired me as a freelance designer to basically design remote controls that TV remotes that would come you, that you bought separate from your TV. At the at that time, there used to be only a remote that came with your TV that worked only with that TV. And if if you know people remember, at some point there was this idea of a universal remote that could work on any TV. So they had wanted me uh, somehow found me through different you know references, and I was they're designing a remote for them or more ergonomic, you know, industrial designers make things that feel good in your hand. They should look cool, all this stuff. But I had this philosophy called think not, you know how people say think outside the box. It means, you know, what does that mean? It means do something unexpected, think way outside the box. I kind of had a philosophy called think inside the box and think inside the box is a philosophy of, if you're going to be designing something anyway, like a handheld TV remote, and it's going in a box and people are buying that thing, what else can it be besides that single function of it only lives, its only use of materials was to enable you to change a channel on a TV? I, to me, it's a way of saying, what else could it do besides that? And one thing a TV remote I thought could do was it could sit on your coffee table and be a lot more intriguing than a little thing that rolls around. And like, it's, it's usually they're designed just to be in your hand. And, you know, we were doing things like making the buttons bigger for ergonomic reasons and stuff that would, that sort of make it a better remote, solve that problem, but not about, so I started going this, this jag about 
them being kind of really interesting objects that would that would look not even like a remote control that would sit on your coffee table and and be a like a sculptural thing or hang off the side of it like i have all these sketches of things that if this was a video i'd show you but uh anyway they they that started me on this think inside the box for a remote i showed them to memorex they didn't like no 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 just just design the damn remote you know like what are you talking about we just want a remote control so they were not ready for for that and at the same time i had a client that was a toy and, and i'd been starting to create toys for for companies and starting to pitch them on ideas so i thought what well what about for the toy world would there be a universal remote for kids that was more fun and more playful and could be more if you're buying a remote than just the remote and one of the ideas coincided with um, like i had themed remotes that were a couch potato a channel surfer a uh, strange looking skeleton where the bones were the buttons like playful toys that also were remote and i also had this concept called watch the kid not the toy it was something an old toy executive guy had told me once which was you know commercials are about watching what the kids doing not about the product really it's what does the toy make the kid do so i was fixated on this and so if you can imagine ask people ask this question well the train of thought was what else can a remote be besides a remote and a remote control they're watching tv but can it be more of a toy and then this what about it not being a thing with buttons could it be some other thing and this idea came to me of this thing called the channel bopper which was for you and i if you may have seen this is it this is this little foam core model it's basically i'm holding up a piece of foam core with uh, it's like a hammer but there's a, a rubber ball on each end of the head of the hammer like a two-sided hammer with a twist knob in the middle and a pull knob on the bottom. So the only controls this channel bopper needed was basically channel up was you bopped on the table, you bopped it one, two, three, four, five. And if you wanted to go down five, four, three, two, one, you would bop the other direction. This was, was of course before cable when there were 4,000 channels. But at the time that seemed like, why do you need buttons? Just I don't like this channel. Bop, 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 boop. Let me go backwards. Bop, 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 bop. The other way, like a great, no, you know, that made the kid more animated. That meant you would watch the kid, not the toy. It it created a whole different action. The volume was a twist knob. So you twist it up for volume up, down for volume down. So, and then on off was a pull. So bop, twist, and pull were simply channel change, volume, on off. So I thought this was the coolest thing I ever came up with. I started to pitch it to toy companies and, and remote control companies and nobody, nobody like Memorex said no. And the remote control idea did get sold to a toy company. In fact, one of my ideas was called Remotes by the Slice and it was a pizza shaped remote control because <laughs> I thought it was funny. Like a kid would leave, you know, a slice of pizza on their coffee table and the parents would go, hey, pick up that piece of pizza. But instead like, ah, it's my remote control, you know? <laughs> and so I thought that was pretty funny. So as you can see, the uh, the pepperoni is like the volume and the, you know, so everything on top of the pizza, the slice of pizza, the mushroom is mute. Uh, you know, like they, they were, it was funny. And there was a couch potato that looked like a potato that, mm. you know, had remotes on it. So these were silly remotes. They did that. They didn't want to do the channel bopper because it was too complicated. They go, no, 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 we just want to do these silly looking remotes. So they turned it down. 
I kept pitching it to lots of companies. And as you can kind of see it coming was the bop twist pull. But I, at the time I was like, it's a remote control. It's a remote control. It's a remote control. And she pitched it to a lot of people who go, yeah, I get it. But you know, maybe it's not a remote. Maybe it's just a noisemaker. Maybe it's something else. And I'm, you know, of course, what are you talking about? The whole concept is it's a TV remote, right? I was trying to solve the problem. It's a TV remote. It changes channels. How could you possibly say maybe it's not a TV remote, then it wouldn't be a product anymore. And so that I think is, we all know in hindsight, like, yeah, but uh, so evolution of thinking that sat in my mind, but it wasn't actually, I didn't do anything with it. I was like, well, I don't know what it is. It's so obvious to everyone. You know, inventions are so obvious looking backwards, but you're mm. sitting there and that, you know, the only thing I did right was you don't say no to that. You kind of, okay, whatever, you're stupid. You said something that doesn't make sense, but you, <laughs> you listen and, and you, you, what I call relentless listening, you actually do need to make sure to absorb. So I absorbed this. A few months later, another toy company called asking if I had ideas for handheld electronic games with LCDs in them because they were tiger electronics had a lot of games that were not success. They were, they were slumping. They, they'd run their course. And so companies call various toy inventors who they know and say, what do you got for a new electronic handheld LCD game? And after trying to put an LCD in the boppet or the channel bopper said, maybe this thing that was a TV remote is actually a game. I'll put a screen in it because games have screens. Well, that didn't, just didn't, you know, kind of tested it out. You can't really see what you're doing on the screen while you're bopping. And then I tried to kind of said, what if uh, the latest handheld LCD electronic game has no LCD? Well, I might as well try, you know? So that's when I dropped the screen. I And all I thought was, well, then it would be like Simon, the game that people know, which is memory, right? Where Simon was a game where it goes red, blue, green, red, blue, green, yellow, red, blue, green, yellow, yellow, red, blue, green, yellow, yellow, red. You know, like So you have to remember the sequence. So I tried this hammer-shaped game, tried to make it into a Simon-like memory game. And it was actually kind of hard with lights and things. Like It was already hard enough to play Simon, but now to remember the gestures as well and the twist, it, it was hard and kind of had been done before. And then I started to, maybe it has music and add some rhythm. Like the, these are just things you try when you say, how'd you come up with it? And the biggest change was really sort of realizing as I started to add beats and rhythm to it that, okay, maybe it's just four things in a row. Twist, twist, but, and at the time it was just, it was just, a, it was just sounds. There wasn't really a voice telling you what to do. It was just lights that were coming on and sound effects. So, I think the jump from there was, well, if I don't use lights, because lights are actually too expensive. It, it, got, it got costly. I was sort of looking at it and pitching it. And people go, oh, there's something there. So while you're pitching. But I said, well, if the sounds sounded like the thing, that might mean you'd know what it was without having to use lights. So the twist, for the twist to sound like a twist sound, which, you know, which is what Bop it has, if you listen to it, the sound of the twist, the sound of the pull, they sound like what they look like, which is another easy to see in hindsight thing. So the, the bop sounded like a boink, you know? So when once I, the idea of making things sound like what they look like, then all of a sudden I was like, oh, there's something here. Cause I can tell it, I know what to do without seeing it. I, I know I don't have to see the light go on for me to know what to do. 
which is a big jump, right? Mm -hmm. So if this hadn't looked like, if this just had five buttons on it or four buttons, you can't really make them sound different. But once you have an object that look, every, every control looks different, that was the really the genesis of Bop It was how to make a thing that sounded like what it looked like to tell you what to do. Then the next leap was really, is it still seem more complicated with four things in a row, three things, two things didn't sound right. And the big thing was, well, is it just one? Is it, what if it just said one thing in a row? So I ask you, if you came up with that, would you would you ever think you get it wrong if you said, I want to create a game where it just tells you to do one thing in a row? No, definitely wouldn't think I would get it wrong. <laughs> right? Right. Who would ever think? <laughs> so I, I still kind of wonder, how did I, why did I not just say, nah? Like, but I, I was like, I don't know, maybe. If I sped it up, maybe. Like, these are things when you look back in hindsight, you go, I don't, I don't know why I, thought of one thing in a row it was more that the other things weren't working and i figured might as well try it so that part was again a non-obvious leap and at that point it was i don't know why i was like well maybe it just tells you what to do it tells you to bop it, it tell, and that and that the sound effect became what it sounded like when you hit it i think that's what it was i tried it where it just made a sound and which is a mode in bop it today where it does a sound but i just I don't know what got into me. It was like, make it just tell. I was going, what's the absolute simplest thing this could do? It could tell you what to do and you do it. I don't know if it'll be fun. I don't know if it'll be a game. So I, try, I sort of mocked it up. And I was like, you know what? As it gets faster, it's actually kind of hard to keep track. And yeah. that was really the, the biggest epiphany was, will, will you get it wrong? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't, it feels like there's something here. So those, all those things are just hunches with a little bit of trial and error. But I've, you know, that's probably the longest I've ever taken to dissect the the intricate process that my brain was going through that I didn't know at the time was was forming itself toward this game. Yeah, well, I, I love it. I'm glad that you that you kind of walked us through your your brain with it. I want to know two things from that. One, how long was this process? Um, you know, from from it being a uh, a channel surfer to being what it, it turned into. How long was that process? And then also, which this may be part of kind of your, your pitch story, but you already said, I mean, I don't know whether this would have been something that anybody wants. Is, is this easy? Is this hard? When you did finally um, present it to people, were you thinking, yeah, this is a great thing? Or were you like, uh, do, is this anything? Do you like this? Where, what, what, it, what was it like at that point? Yeah, the, the first part of that is uh, it probably took about a year from the time I was designing and sold, you know, that's the other funny thing. I sold this idea of rem of crazy remotes to a company. So why did I did why did I hold on to the hammer? I didn't just put it in a box and go, all right, I sold that idea on to the next idea. Mm -hmm. I just felt there was something more to that. So it was about a year and it and if not for the phone call, and this was not the company that ended up doing Bop it was was Parker Brothers, not Tiger. Tiger was the company that called about maybe three or six months later to say, hey, do you have any ideas for handheld electronic LCD games? If they had never called, it's also possible I never would have come up with this idea because I never would have thought, how do I turn this TV remote into, into a game? So that took a while to gestate. And in that time, I think I had been pitching the TV remote to several other companies. Like I, I probably had anywhere of 20 to 30 ideas at any time when I would meet with companies and pitch them on my best 
you know, ones depending on who they were. So over that year, I was pitching this TV remote idea quite a bit until I kind of, someone called and said, what if it's not a TV remote? So when people think about invention, I think it's about all those what ifs and just staying open to what, what something might be, don't force it, you know? And uh, so that, that was about a year. And then, you know, what happened? How did it, um, how did I think if people would like it or not? Once I kind of made a game of it, I didn't really know. I, I liked a lot of things I came up with, but I thought were, you know, you, you, in your head might be a different vision than what other people see or experience. So I pitched the, once I had the idea for this game, I pitched it to maybe six or seven companies before Parker Brothers. And a lot of people liked it. One interesting thing is a company called Captoys, which did like the spinning lollipops and they did a bunch of things back in the 90s. The guy, John Osher was his name, really, uh, he went on to make the first electric toothbrush as well. Like really the, the spinning toothbrush. He was really smart and he actually... I remember him picking it up going, I love this. This is great. I love this. Like he really saw it. He goes, but you know what? We're not the right company for this. You need to do this with a game company. We're like, we're like a novelty company. It was really nice that he kind of was like, but he was, his reaction, I was like, wow, this guy, I really respect his opinion. And he thinks this thing is, is really cool. You know, so little things like that add up when you're, I stress to people, you know, a lot of inventing is the pitching. And when you're pitching, it's how you pitch and how you receive feedback or just watch people's reaction, watch their face. You know, this is your moment to get an experienced person to react to your idea. And if it doesn't work the next time, you, you adjust a little, you adjust, you adjust your pitch. So I think seeing what people lit up to and not is a big, big part of inventing. You know, if you, most ideas are probably pitched several times before they succeed. So in a way you're, like, ah, I've been rejected nine times. I'm so excited. I must be getting close. Mm. You know, mm. rather than this idea is no good. You're like, well, statistically, it means you're getting close. Mm. Or you could be. So that's a trick to, to the thinking of, of getting rejected. So that so after several rejections, I had an opportunity to meet with someone I really respected from Parker Brothers, who I I'd met a couple of times. I had sold them a few games already. And so this was at a good point in my career where I had just started really a few years into it, but I, but people knew I had good stuff, you know? So they would start sending their, their more higher executives to sort of go check out what Dan's got. So this guy called and said, you know, I've, I've never, I'd never met with him really in person, this guy, Bill Dorman, but he said, I'm going to LA. I'm in California. He says, I'm flying out from the East coast. I just let you know in case you'd like to meet. Uh, I can't make it up to San Francisco, but if you'd like to meet, and I hate to ask you to come down, I said yes, I will. So I, I luckily, because I really thought he had the eye that could get new ideas, and it wasn't just Bop it. It was I had six or seven other really cool things at the time. So I went down ahead of time, set up my hotel room. I found out where he was staying. Like I, I just had this real mystical hunch about this meeting. And I never done this before where I actually flew somewhere else to meet someone. They always came to my office. And so I had it all set up and, and just at that point in the meeting where he saw Bop it, the coolest thing was he looked at it. He was really thoughtful. He liked it. And he said, but you know, we're just not doing games like this at Parker brothers. 
And I thought it was like the guy, John Usher, this other guy. And he goes, but we should be. Mm. But we should be. Now that's, right? What if that guy said, we're just not doing games like this at Parker Brothers. Can you control that? It's like, well, I, I like to say, I think you can. By, I waited till I had the right guy. I knew this was a guy with vision. And I had a hunch he was the right guy. And I say the right guy, the right time, the right product, the right company, the right meeting, the right, like, if you work at it, you can sort of control what to get right before you go in. And, and I had to have had learned from previous meetings that weren't the right meeting. So it, this is, again, a lot of detail that I think with the luxury of looking back can maybe help you if you're pitching ideas to someone, if you're an inventor, or just you have meetings at your business or whatever it is, just kind of keep in mind that process to get to the right point it takes a lot of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. No, in, in, in my world and in, in what I do for a living, it's the same thing. That's what we always say. Are we talking to the right person? It doesn't matter what we're saying. If we're saying it to the wrong person, nothing matters. So I, I hear you there. Mm -hmm. um, the, the easy question is to ask, did you think that this is going to turn into what it was? Of course you probably did. No one knows. So what I would rather ask you is once it did take off, once it became the sensation, the juggernaut that it, it did, what was that like? How did you feel about, you know, something that you remember the starting from, you remember that channel remote and what it, and what it eventually turned into? What was that feeling like? Well, first of all, I, I did have a tingling about it. That was like, you know, cause I'd seen enough and I, I'd been to games. Everyone thinks their game is the best thing in the world. I mean, you don't do it if you don't fall in love with your own ideas. Right. So I did, but I also had heard that, you know, most games, only last a year or two years or don't last at all. There was just something once I saw it in the showroom, uh, where, you know, finished with when once it had, and I'd seen it in progress. And I kind of, I got a bit of a chill, like the first time I saw it presented in front, I'd seen it before, but when it showed and I could see people's reaction and it was so iconic uh, and so simple, luckily it stayed extremely simple. And I was like, everyone says, yeah, it might get a good three years. And I, I remember inside thinking, what are they talking about? This thing is, this has got like evergreen potential. Mm. And so can't say I predicted it, but I, I did have a real tingly feeling like this is special. This is a special one. You know, once it was at that stage, I wouldn't have said I thought that at all when it was still a, an, an initial idea. It was just one of many fun ideas um, that I had. So yeah, I, I did feel, but then what it was like when it started to come true was honestly just like a, I couldn't, you can't really believe like, is this really happening that they say it's taking off? They say it's doing well. And then, again, you're still excited, but then starting to see like the commercial and hearing about it and hearing people calling me and see, and then people started to put it in the paper. You know, there was little, you know, it wasn't like the biggest hit of the year at all. It was just sort of getting, getting a groundswell. And that was what probably saved it. It wasn't like, the big surge and then it's out of style the next year. It just had enough love that I could tell that it was going to last a second year for sure. And the, the moment that I got most excited was I, one of the people, um, I think it was Bill, the guy who I pitched it to, he's sort of like executive marketer, you know, but he's not the one that is like, uh, his level wasn't the one that kind of got up and gave the, I don't know, whoever the, the executive VP was, they quoted this guy, he called and said, so you might want to know that 
the sales numbers. This might have been in January after it had sold, started to sell over the holidays. He said, he said he got up there and he talked about the things that were doing well for us in our line. And Boppet was sort of the highlight of the season last year. I mean, they have Monopoly, they have you know Risk and and Connect Four and and Hungry Hippos, whatever you know. They have like all the best games. So for for it to be Hasbro, basically Parker Brothers is part of Hasbro. That was a big deal to have the game with the right company. But mm. to have so the quote was, "We are witnessing the birth of a new brand." Mm. That's he goes. He just got up in front of the whole company and said, "We're witnessing the birth of a new brand." So mm. as much as I was excited uh, when he, when I heard that, I, I sort of stunned me. And I remember driving home that day, waiting to tell my wife what I had just heard. And I I started screaming in the car like, just this. Oh, I didn't, I still was tempered like this may not happen because you, you don't want to get your hopes up. But it was just like, I grew up playing Parker Brothers games. And I remember as a little kid, just how happy I was playing Mousetrap or this and seeing the logo on the box. Like I kind of associated it with these are, this means it's a really special game and I have these great memories. So to think, the first thought I had was I had just created something that if I'm hearing right, other little kids are going to play and it's going to be a special memory for them. And I, I, I made one of those games that mm. I used to, it, from that, like that concept. So when I said in the beginning of this conversation, what excites me, it's the passion for having loved games growing up and wanting to sort of figure out the new way for kids to play and connect and have memories. And so it was that moment that I was like, Whoa, I think that just happened. And I was just elated and it's been, an, and never predicted it would actually really last now 25 years this is this is unprecedented because very few games there's very few new evergreen games that get created and i think it might be one of the only ones in the last 25 years for for hasbro yeah yeah and i guess the question i would be too when it comes to inventing things pitching things selling ideas to companies what does that look like when it comes to evergreen parts and obviously i don't at all want to get into you know the financial side but do you know when they talked about you know, this is, we've created a new brand. Is it something like go Hasbro and they're the ones that kind of are the only ones that benefit now that they bought your idea or is it something that you like, were able to stay invested in too? Oh, it, the whole game of toy inventing different than design, industrial design. Generally you're hired as a consultant to design. I designed, you know, 15 different products for discovery toys before i really got into toy inventing that's sort of where i heard uh, to kind of bridge the industrial design i had clients and one of them was discovery toys i designed a lot of really fun products that are still around today and i was very inventive with them but as a but in a business model when you're paid up front you are generally paid and you're a consultant and then that's it in toy inventing you're pitching your ip your original ideas mm. And in general, the business model is you strike out a, a thousand times, but if they buy one and it happens to succeed, you get a royalty on it. Okay. So, uh, I yes, I licensed the the game of Bop It to Hasbro, and I they you know they've been a partner. Basically, they're they're the manufacturer, they're the licensee of my game, and that still is the case today. So it's been very you know important to me to be able to sustain my business and do other things was to have had a hit that could help fund all the other mistakes that I made. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I like to hear that. I like to hear yeah. that for, for sure. You know, we, we talked so much about Bop It. We, you know, we even went into how it was created and 
I feel like that's a, a really easy thing for people to understand that knows Bop it. If somebody's listening, they are, you know, living under yeah. a rock and they're wondering, Bop, who, what, 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 are we, what are we, the heck are we talking about? Bop, what? To tell us a little bit, explain to yes. us in your words what a Bop it is. And then I know you've got some uh, sounds to kind of uh, jog our memory too. So please do yeah. that. I think what made Bob successful is if you first say, what's the name of the game? Bop it. How do you play? Bop it. Mm. What are the instructions? Bop it. Like <laughs> literally it says right on the front of it. It's a, it's a strange looking object that has a, that says bop it right on the part that you bop. So it couldn't mm. be simpler that that is why one of the reasons it's just, there are no instructions. It's do what it says. It commands you obey. So let me play. I'm holding up for those not seeing, of course, the first one, which was the pull twist bop. And uh, it's got a pull knob on one end, a twist knob on the other, and a bop in the, in the middle. So here's what it sounds like. Bop it. Pull it. So this is the first one. It simply told you to bop it, twist it, pull it. You heard the sounds. You could tell when it said twist it, you heard the twist sounds, you know. Those sounds are the bop, twist, and pull sounds. So you, it tells you what to do, and when you do it successfully, it plays that sound. If you don't do it successfully, you hear that scream, and then you hear some funny sounds. Those are because we couldn't afford to put even audio that told you your score. It basically used the the cymbal sound, pop, 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 you heard that sound, right? Five pops, that meant five points. If you got 10 points, you would hear the twist sound meant, it was like a, you had to figure out, the talk about causing a problem or creating a problem, you had to figure out how is this telling you my score? So it would be like twist, pop, pop, pop meant 13. You know, so it was, it was, people started to figure out what is this sound? And then they, that was made it sort of cool. So that was it. Then as it evolved, it turned into Bop at Extreme, which was again, once it was successful and they called me and said, what do we do next? I was very involved in where to take Bop it and the 25 different Boppets over the last 25 years, I've created many, many variations on Bop it that are all a lot of fun. Bop, so one on one. This is when we added a lot of voice, this mode here. Let's see. Box Bop, solo. So you heard it makes a snarky comment. Now when you fail, it says, uh, no, score six, and it tells you your score. Now if you if if you if you uh, fail again, let's see. So it still screams and says something. So this one's not being as talkative as we got later, where when you fail, it starts saying all sorts of things like, like we started to get much, much more intricate with the voices. And I'll go and I can show you more of that when we talk about the button. But um, that's kind of how it started to evolve. It started with just less and then the extreme version, it started to talk to you. And most people remember that idea. Now I had a, a flick it and a spin it. And when you it got very extreme, this is Bob extreme, and and your your failing got more extreme of how it taunted you and told you you know do it the same but better and things like that. We already talked about this is very nostalgic to people, 
they grew up playing it. You know, I, I know people that still have boppets. We probably use them now as, I don't know, at parties. So maybe a, yeah. almost a drinking game at this point. Um, so of course. people use it for all kinds of things. And I just wonder how often you get people that say, you know, this was a huge part of my childhood. You know, this is really important to me. It doesn't, there's, there's so many things that you wouldn't think would be, but I, I can absolutely see how a bop it would, uh, would be a really important thing to, to some people. We can get really, really deep with it if, if you, if you want, but I feel like, uh, that would be powerful. So talk a little bit about that. That's thank you. That's, um, to sum it up, I call this bop culture mm. instead of pop culture. It, it, it got so deep that it's kind of transcended a game because it got, uh, because of the music and the rhythms and the beats, it sort of became like nostalgic music that you had when you were a kid or a teenager. So it's, it's got a really powerful feeling. And that's what got me started on, you know, what we're going to talk about this Bop It For Good initiative and things was I, about a few years ago, I, I'd sort of people say, what do you do? Or over the last maybe 10 years, but especially in the last few years, when they'd find out I'm an industrial designer, I've done toys, anything I would know. And you say a few things. When you say bop it, they would go sort of berserk. And I was like, why are they that? I know it's a great game, but why are they that passionate about it? And it and it was something like you're saying about the nostalgia was so deep. And I think because of that music, because of the tactileness, you know, uh, the social, it's a handheld thing. You're passing around. It, it probably conjures up memories of being with at a party, group of people simplicity so that's what kind of gave me the idea of wow i don't know but it started to show up in spoofs on the simpsons on saturday night live it's been in several several songs recently and tiktok challenges and it keeps happening more and more and more so it's almost that it got baked into the culture bop culture has sort of started a whole new wave beyond the toy itself and the invention is that nostalgic quirkiness and the fact that it is about just tell you to do something you do it so you can create a dance with it you can create a you know i can get almost anything and believe me i've tried you know like when people say i got a great idea for you i'm like well i don't mean to be arrogant or dismissive but remember i have been thinking of boppet ideas for 25 years mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you want to see my dropbox of archive prototypes and ideas it's it's pretty massive so that's you know to answer the question like do you ever want someone to come up with that? It's like, I, I'm sure people come up with things all the time that I maybe haven't thought of, but I'm going to guarantee you I've got a list of a hundred. I, I kind of want to get to first before I start working with someone on their idea for Boppet. So mm. just to put that to bed, that's what it's like to kind of have a product that, that has so many possibilities, but that's also a way of saying why I think it's baked into culture is people have spoofed it because it does give you literally people have thought of all these things and and constantly spoofing it which is why i think it's it's uh hilarious you know and it's 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 kind of beyond anything i could ever ever anticipate yeah yeah and i in kind of preparing for this interview i kind of went down the tiktok rabbit hole of typing in bop it and seeing people's stories with it some people obviously are just trying to do the best they can but you know i asked you that question because there was some really powerful ones of people talking about, you know, I'm a mom and, you know, have a, an autistic kid. And this really helps with, you know, his stimming. I had people talk about in my childhood, um, you know, I, I didn't have a, a great home life and my parents would be fighting. And it's something I could focus on to do, you know, under the covers while everything else is going wrong. So I thought, dang, that is, 
really powerful. So I, I, I just thought that was really, really cool. Well, I, I, you helped me segue into the most powerful thing about this whole experience for me, which, which is honestly the first month that Boppet came out, I got a call from a TV station that was doing a story about you know holiday gifts. It was like probably around this time of year, like November. And it had just come out kind of in the summer. And they had heard that a school for the blind was using this new game Bop It because they and I because they could play it because it's audio as we're doing now in this podcast. You can play it. And that was as the whole story was it. I took the lights out. I took the, I didn't know this is what it was going to lead to. But because you can feel the shapes and they sound like how they look and they look how they feel. Right. The whole point is it, it was Braille without me realizing it. So. I get to this newscaster. She's I, when I get there. There's these two girls playing, and they're laughing and they're passing the bop back and forth. And the newscaster looks down at this one girl. And says, "How is it for you playing this game this with, without being able to see?" And the girl looks up at her and goes, "I'm not the one that's blind. She is." Uh. <laughs> and the other girl that's blind, and you can't tell mm. because it's so fluid, and. So here you have a game that not only could they laugh and play and bond. I don't know if these girls knew each other. Or they were, you know, they just were there for the, it was that it, it, that became so powerful. I instantly thought, wow. So this kid is, is now making a friend because they can laugh and play and compete equally. Like you're competing with, you know, that's the cool part is why games bond us is when a game is well-designed, you can play a game of, uno with your grandma and either of you can win and it's fun you know you that's why you need games that are well designed so here's a game that was popular that could be equally played by people with with that vast difference and so i heard a lot of stories about that and that the observers of that couldn't tell who was blind also took away the stigma of oh that kid's different and so i just just that that really got so over the years i've tried to support um organizations that or, you know, with people for the blind and get them boppets and things. But what I've started to do, this, so this latest project is all about, called Boppet for Good, with my wife and I, is for the 25th anniversary, we are focusing on right now um, this special new boppet that benefits Lighthouse for the Blind, where when you buy, buy it, we donate one to them. And when they either give it to students like that so they can connect with, you know, there's a lot of, things with Lighthouse for the Blind, where it's not just for people who are blind, it's integrating, it's connecting, it's being self-reliant. So the idea that you get boppets and you take them with friends and you can play with them is actually a really powerful device to have. But also then they can take when people, when they, we're trying to raise their inventory so that if you buy one and we donate one, they can resell it in their store, which gives them like full profit. You know, nobody takes a cut. It's kind of the, the best way for a charity. It's like they get to, you know, that when they sell it, they just keep all the money. So I've kind of liked that business model as a charitable way to give to this community that Boppets mean a lot to, um, you know, and I'm just fortunate to find out about it and just say, this is a simple thing to do. Um, so that's what we're doing this holiday season is I've created this new game called the Boppet Button, which is a one button Boppet which has nothing except this button that looks like the center of the boppet. And it started out as a whole different idea, not as a game. And it's kind of the reverse of my first invention story. I, I like that. I like that. And I want to ask you too, because we, we've, we focus completely on the boppet. You've done so much other things 
some things other people I think would know too. What was it? Perplexus, Hyperdash, all kinds of other stuff that you've done. Just briefly run through some of the other other products that you've you've created, and then also I thought it was interesting. I think you even talked about it on a uh, on a TikTok that this isn't even your highest selling product or you or something that you sold even more of. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it is. I sort of did a post the other day where people assume Bob it's my most popular invention. I said, well, well, best selling, popular interesting words they, they're obviously sometimes are equating it to me i don't sell them right i license the products to a toy company and they're the marketers so the the product that i did that po- that uh, post on was a sand it was the first product I ever invented called i call it the sand claw uh, i think it was they called it the sand digger if i look at the thing there so it's it was this idea of wearing this thing on your hand I had this idea where you you could dig without you know using your fingernails like when you dig like a dog does in the sand, and that's how kids like to dig. And so I created this ergonomic one piece little shovel that fit over your hand that let you dig like that. And I didn't. It was the first thing I licensed. I didn't patent it. I heard that the toy company was going to help patent it. They didn't. No one was doing anything wrong. It just we just weren't very. No one quite knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. I got royalties on it for about a year or so, and then it started to get knocked off. It got knocked off so fast and so much that the toy company said, I'm sorry, we can't compete anymore. And we have to just sort of let go the contract uh, to it because they couldn't even afford to make it for less than competitors. So I was pretty sad about that, except that years later, it's I see it more and more and more everywhere all over the world. This different variations too, like you, you. You can Google that. You look on Amazon and there's, you know, like 40 different versions of it, all these companies. And I started to say, I feel, well, it's unpre- without question, more of those have been sold than Boppets, even though Boppets sold like 30 million units. There's a product that's only a dollar or two dollars and it's been all over the world for 30 years. And it's, you know, so I just when I estimate how many companies are out there, I just think it blows away the amount of units. So it's my best selling invention even though I'm not connected to it anymore by royalties or anything, I'm just super proud that the first thing I licensed had use and that people have enjoyed it so much that they knocked it off and, and that it's still selling, you know, it's kind of like the greatest uh, tribute is to create something that, that is still around decades later. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. And uh, yeah, that's my best selling invention as far as I can tell. Yeah, I, I like that because I, I think that would that would surprise people for sure. We talked about just the the juggernaut, the bop it is, but you you've got something else that had uh, maybe even surpassed it when it comes to to units. You know, we just talked about how I I, I found that from you on the TikTok, uh, but I know that you kind of started a little bit more into social media. I think for this twenty fifth anniversary, kind of talk a little bit about that. How how have you enjoyed kind of really digging deep into the social media world? Yeah, I had never hardly answered emails before the pandemic. Uh, (laughs) I didn't know what any of this was. And I I had a friend who sort of said, you know, you should do a social media channel. I mean, it was a friend's son, actually. And so I kind of hired hired him. He paid him a little bit to kind of help sort of tell me what to do and what's what's a post, you know. I mean, it's literally I knew nothing. And I started to do it. I, I come from this family of actors. My parents were in theater and I've always been kind of a ham. So I said, oh, this is kind of fun. You get to go on. and But for me, it was about talking about 
the inventions and kind of maybe give people some tips or commiserate what it's like to have an idea and find out someone else is doing it, like silly things or tips about how I create. I just started to see that it could draw this community of people that, you know, were like-minded and I could teach a little bit and, have, and just have fun with Bop It being 25 years old. So I started it. And that um, the one thing I think I enjoy most is having an idea for a fun video or a silly thing where I take the voice of Bop It and I make it say something it's really not supposed to say. And like, like all sorts of just comedy and find out if people like it in about 10 minutes. Like after you post it, the instant thumbs up, thumbs down is so refreshing compared to waiting two years with your product idea. I kind of, they're the same thing. They're ideation. You're inventing something that you want people to laugh and enjoy and share just like a toy. And you get to find out about it instantly. And then, you know, I, I and so that's the main thing I love about it. And then, but the idea of sharing and asking opinions, then what do you think? Should it, should this product be this or that? Hey, this product flopped. What would you do differently? I'm just, I love this connection with consumer, you know, with, with game players, with kids, with adults. I just think that's the positive part about social media where you can, you can just share ideas. And, and for someone who's living is coming up with ideas. I'm trying to give as much as I get, like I, I'm happy to give all, my opinions, whatever. And so if people want to share their ideas with me, um, you know, that's sort of a, a great, it, it's not the ideas that are worth a lot. It's the doing. <laughs> Meaning when people say, Oh, you're getting free ideas. I go, Oh, take any of them you want. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, 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 you go do all the work of getting an idea out there and you'll see the idea is great, but it's, it's what you do with it. So I think that's been sort of what I'm using it for is, is just having fun and maybe getting some fresh brainstorming. I, I love that. Yeah. And obviously social media is great for that instant gratification and sometimes instant disappointment too. You just got to be able to take the, uh, the good with the bad. And you're talking about ideas. That's a great segue into the final question I have before we get to the, the bop it button. And that is, it's really easy to look back and see the world that bop it has taken you on, you know, the, the journey that has taken you on, um, and say, you know, this was, this was the best ever, but do you feel yourself that this was the best idea that you've ever had? And if not, what, what was Whew, the best idea? I don't even know how to answer that. You know, it, it's hard to separate the results from, you know, purity of ideas. I think in, it's kind of a blur. I mean, I've honestly come up with 5,000 ideas, mm -hmm. so, you know, like numbered one through 5,000 of, mm -hmm. of which are not just brief thoughts. They're deep months on some prototypes, mock-ups, uh, iterations, you know? And so how to say best is it's tricky. Like from the very first thing we talked about, how do you, how do you get people to like something and have it sustainable and have them want to laugh and create memories that they play and talk about years later? You know, that's, that's maybe the best idea. Maybe there's clever ideas that I've come up with or card games, things that I think are, are more, um, there's a game called mind block that uh, I came out with blue orange. That's kind of like rummy cube only. It's so cool. The way you can um, combine the numbers. Like I would say that that's me. I thought, I know this isn't going to be as popular as a bop it, but I thought it was one of my best new fresh games that people enjoy, but they don't, you know, that's sort of hard to separate from, uh -huh. 
this. And I do think as a pure idea, Bop It is a real winner. Like it's so pure and simple. It's a reason why it's lasted. It, it's hard to not say that. Perplexus is an incredible, from an industrial designer point of view, I, that's with an amazing partner, Michael McGinnis, who really came up with the first idea for it. And I really helped co-create it into the toy, you know, this beautiful sculptural sphere with the maze inside. And it's been going for over 20 years as well. I'd say that's a, from an industrial designer's perspective, that's the best overall product because you can sit it on the table and it looks like sculpture as well as being something you can play with. So I'd say I'm maybe as proud or prouder of that as a, as a beautiful object from my initial idea of, you know, think inside the box. And I said, think of what else can this thing be when it's not being played with? I think it does a great job of being a, a, a beautiful thing besides just being a, a, a game. Yeah, it's too hard of a question, but that's my answer. <laughs> Good answer. It's almost an impossible question, but I thought I'd I'd throw it at you and see how you hit it back. I think that was a that was a, a good answer for sure. So please do um, share with us more about the the bop it button. Yeah, I mean this is in a way this is a bit like I'm not gonna I don't want to compare myself in any way, but you know because I'm blanking. But like Paul McCartney said, I'm gonna make sure that all the uh, from now on yesterday this, my song yesterday is just for raising money for good causes. Like mm -hmm. it's sort of like, that's sort of what I'm doing. I want to make a specific bop it. That's a philanthropic bop it for good causes. And there's a lot of reasons why that's really the, the, what this has become is I want to do something to give back. Um, and it was also to celebrate. I wanted to celebrate the 25th year. It's been a huge thing for me, but finding out how big bop it was for all this nostalgia for, for everyone. I said, what can I do to properly do this right? And to thank the hundreds of people, it wasn't just me. I had the idea. I worked with all these amazing people. How do I thank them for changing my life and for, and, and for helping bring this great product in the world from the marketers, the toy executives, the designers, the sound engineer, the, you know, it's like a movie when you see all those names in the credit. Um, so what I did was I, that was my goal. How can I create something to thank people, to celebrate the fans, give the fans something that they that's special that lets them know I appreciate them and do it for a good cause. Mm. Those were my, those were my goals. And it ended up that I had this idea of a one button bop it more like a fun sound maker. So here's, here's a, an example. What is, what do you mean? A bop it with one button. People go, how could that be hard? Well, we, so here's. Bop it. Yo, did anyone see you doing that? Score 150. So, Sorry, this is at an advanced level. It's really, the score was one in that particular instance. I think this one, this is what happens when you press a one button bop it. Bop it. Yo! Fail-tastic, my man. Right? You push it, it tells you a fail phrase. And it's kind of like your daily insult. Right? Ah, hate the player, not the game. So I took my favorite insults from the last 25 years, put them into a one button bop it. And I literally was just going to do that. And I thought, what are, maybe this could be a game without any knob, twist, or pull. Because when I first created Bop It, I actually had the command, don't bop it, don't twist it, don't pull it, as part of the instructions. And we took it out. It, you didn't need it. And so I kind of thought, in a way of paying homage to this 25 years, what if this was the Bop It where I put it in? And it's because it's only one button, so that the commands are bop it, don't bop it, do bop it, do not bop it. 
And it doesn't matter how long between the words do and bop or do not or don't and bop it. Like the command's not done until it says bop it one way or the other. So I am really trying to annoy people with this, this, this marathon game. So let's just play it for a second. You'll see what it sounds like. Oh, I'll mention one other thing. And I wanted to include a bunch of people's voices as thank yous to them for being part of Bop It or fans who I found on TikTok who were super fans or my dad who got me into industrial design. So when you hear these voices, this was an experiment to say, can I honor a bunch of people with a Bop It? And is it entertaining and fun to hear multiple voices? And I didn't know till I, and the first time I heard this, I was pretty excited. So here it is. Bop it. Bop it. Don't bop it. This is the annoying part. It's, it's going to make this just happened to catch this early on. It usually takes a while. So you have to wait. Remember what it said? It said, do or don't. Bop it. Bop it. Bop it. Bop it. Don't bop it. Oh, dude. Hmm. Don't bop it. Score 157. So I, I moved this up to an advanced level. So you hear, and when you first start, it's not, it doesn't really get tricky with you. All those voices aren't in it. And as you play it, the longer you bop, the more voices you unlock. If you're not paying attention and you say, did he say don't or do at the beginning of that pause? You're right. So it's a, you, you really have to be. So this is a game of focus. So try one more. Bop it. Bop it. Bop it. Bop it. Don't bop it. You, what do you think of all those voices and craziness, right? It's like you've never heard anything quite like it. Yeah. I think that it makes it... Uh... I mean, I, it adds to the difficulty because I feel like you start getting used to one one sound, one voice, and kind of focusing on that to be able to do it, and then to have another voice just I think adds it adds it to be a, a little bit more a little more stressful, a little more difficult. Yeah, it's it's the voices and the variety of thinking. Oh, it's one button. How hard could it be? But do and don't and do not and waiting. It's not yeah. hard if you focus. The point is, you can beat this button, but it will take you one hour. So to beat the button, you have to do that totally focused for an hour. Ooh. If you beat it, you get a special message from personally from me that's like a pretty long message. And and then you have the option of quitting because you've beaten the button or continuing to try to set a world record. So when people ask in the future, what's your score? This game will probably never have a score that's not like if someone's crazy enough to play it for three weeks in a row, it, it literally goes to one million. Uh. And yeah, uh, it's like, oh no, uh, it is. So I just kind of thought this, all bets are off. This is this crazy idea of a one button bop it, put all these voices in it, make these crazy commands. So this is sort of like never, it's, it's like the game you kind of know, but there's never been a bop it like it. It's this simple one button. You sit it on your desk. So it looks like your nineties nostalgia decor. Like it's got, it's got, even if it just sits there, it's cool. So it solves that problem for me of saying a cool thing that looks cool, even when you're not bopping it. And the box itself, as you saw, has hand illustrations of every bop that I've created. It's got a nice note in there to all the people that worked on it. It's got the names of like 50 people that were instrumental, if you look on the inside there. Mm. Um, and that's sincerely how I feel. Like it takes a lot, you know, the luck and all that's fine that I was the instigator, but, but it took all this stuff to make it happen. And so that's it. And so you get this thing, you get it out of the box, you can play it. There's a fan, a game where you can pass this around. Um, you know, imagine playing this and each person only gets to press it once and you have to pass it to the next person. Think how fast this game is if you're just listening. 
when it says don't bop it, you reverse directions. So mm -hmm. it's this, it's like you can play all these games with it. And because it's only one button, I've made a chain for it as a special fundraiser. So you can do <laughs> and ought this. You may have seen it in my social media. This is what I call the big bad bop it chain. It's a big gold chain made of, you know, Amazon's finest plastic gold, but it looks really real, right? <laughs> and it's like a flavor flav kind of thing. And it's got this bopping in the center and this cool. So these are going to be a special fundraising giveaway for one of the 20 gold chains that we're doing near the holidays for Lighthouse for the Blind. So the, all of this is, you know, basically for charitable giving. So, but this is going to be really sought after. And we're actually doing a promotion with um, members only and Trapper Keeper. Uh, I love the 90s promotion where I'm going to give, they're, they're, they're putting these special packages together of you get a members only jacket, a pop it button, Trapper Keeper, all this stuff. And so I'm going to be doing a couple of these gold chains for that giveaway. So these, these chains are sort of like the special thing. And if people like them, they will make them. So it's, you can wear it on your head with a strap. Like this button is going to be this craziest thing. And all I can say is if you had a boppet or had friends who had boppets or played boppets, you literally, I'm not, I'm not even being a salesman here. I'm just giving you good advice. <laughs> you will <laughs> want one of these buttons on your desk to annoy people with or to play and try to beat the record. And my, my personal challenge to anyone who played boppet is I'm literally like, can you beat the button? That's my personal challenge. I challenge you to spend an hour and beat this button. And what I'm also doing for the holidays is between now and, and Christmas, basically, if you get one and beat it, I will personally call you. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So I, I, you know, we're hoping, I don't know how many people will actually do that, but we're going to do it. We might put a limit on it. If like, but I don't know. A lot of people say they're going to do it, but if you have to spend one hour and maybe you don't want me to call you, I don't know. But um, that is the challenge. We're saying if to, I believe so much in this product and raising money for this cause that if you buy one and you beat it before Christmas and you can literally, you can play it. it tell, you can tell you beat it when you hold it down. Um, then you will get a phone call from me. This is what happens, by the way. So the reason we know that is when you hold it down. So it's one button, but it's got modes you can activate by when you press and hold. So if I hold it down, it tells my high score. High score, 231. So now if I keep holding it down, it'll tell me high score. And then my all-time score, the total number of points I've gotten since I got the toy. High score, 231. All-time score, 378. Uh, this is a pretty new one. Bop it, 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 you know, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I just figured out how to make it say high score. What's this all time score? Oh, that's and the law. And so when you get high enough scores in those categories, it starts to unlock other sounds in this button. So I literally spent a year creating this from all the sounds, just thinking, I just wanted to do something really special that fans, you know, it's, it was a way for me to celebrate it, but also to let fans know, I know 
this was special for memories for you. And I want you to unlock these sounds that, that you had and have fun with it and compete a little bit with it. And it's all for a great cause. So that's, that's my pitch on the Bafa button. And I just honestly think it's, you know, it's going to probably sell out because we're not making that many. We're doing this independently. So this is not Hasbro. This is me and my wife are funding this, creating this. And when it sells out, it sells out. So that's, you know, it's, it's available on bopitforgood.com. And uh, when you're there, you can buy some other hats and things if you want. But, you know, mainly people are there for the button. I love it. I love it for sure. And I want you tell people how they can find you on social media. How, again, shout out, you just said it, but shout out again, where people are going to find this button. If you want the Bop It button, the only place you can get it right now is bopitforgood.com. It's, a, it's our Shopify store. It'll probably be available on Amazon at some point, but not not till later. And they might be sold out by the time it's available on Amazon. <laughs> so we're saying go to bopitforgood.com and go look, go get your Bopit button. And when you buy one, we donate one to Lighthouse for the Blind. You can find me at it's Bopit Inventor on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter at Bopit Inventor. And you can, you know, I'll probably be doing more stuff about this then, or more, maybe some lives about uh, trying to get some celebrities that love Bopit to play this. And there's, there's a lot we're hoping happens in the holidays. Um, really just saying that's, you know, where, where this has evolved to over 25 years is Bop It For Good is this concept that I now call inventing good. Like inventing well is inventing good. And inventing good for me is how can I invent the most good with my creativity and this, you know, when you ask about Bop, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take on the challenge of coming up with something that can really use its popularity to hopefully engage people. The second part of this, the second chapter of what I hope to do with this next year is start to get celebrity voices. The reason I focus so much on all those different voices in the Bop It button was it was a proof point for me that you could mix a lot of voices in one Bop It and it was really entertaining to go, like, I know who all those voices are because I know them. But for other people, if you had a bunch of celebrities in there, and, and so my goal is to get celebrities to voice a bop it for a great cause. Mm. And this was the proof. This, so this bop it becomes, like I said, this Baba button is the philanthropic part of, a, of the bop it line that I would love to continue with that over the next year. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So bop it for good.com. Definitely, definitely a, a thing that I think people that are nostalgic for the bop it will jump on. I know that you already know that. So it, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks, Jackson. I, I don't have a problem uh, speaking, as you can tell. So thank you for having me. On. Absolutely. <laughs> and letting Absolutely. me share a lot of this. As I said, I, I, I am still passionate about what I do. And, um, you know, just say thanks to everyone who's been on my social media, who shared their stories for playing Bop It, for, for, you know, it is really an amazing feeling to know that over 200 million people have played this game and I still love hearing about it. And, and I'm, you know, so thanks for having me on. So that was Dan Klitzner. What an amazing conversation. You know, sometimes I just kick myself when I'm having these conversations. I started this podcast several years ago. And just to think, did I think I was ever going to interview the guy who invented the Boppet? Definitely not. But man, am I glad that I did. What an amazing guy. What an amazing story uh, just coming up with such a product. 
presenting it and getting it on shelves, having that vision, not giving up on it, knowing that it's not a channel changer. It's got more to it. It is something else. You know, he, he thought in the beginning that it was a channel changer and he didn't want to get rid of, of that idea and people were telling him, let's look at other things. He was willing to move on from that and create just the amazingness that the Boppet is now. And then to continue with that passion 25 years later and create the Boppet button that now helps Lighthouse for the Blind, has this amazing cause. He's got all these other amazing things where he's trying to create Boppets with celebrities that use their voices and create them for their own charitable causes. Man, Dan is just an amazing guy. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope those who had a Boppet growing up or still have one, you know, in their closet, Hopefully you learned a lot today and really, really enjoyed you know this conversation. Hopefully if you've never heard of a bop, this has inspired you to go and grab one. Obviously you can go to the uh, you know Target, Walmart, whatever your local big box store is and get one of the uh, Hasbro boppets but uh, i urge you to go check out that one button bop it on his website bop it for good the link is going to be in the description on the show notes urge you to check that out grab that one for that charitable thing love it and then go grab you know one of the one of the originals too but it was an amazing amazing conversation so thankful for his time all of his information will be in the show notes if this is your first time listening thanks so much for listening over 100 other episodes, a lot of amazing other guests. Urge you to check those out. If you want to follow along with me, Not and Have Podcast on Instagram, jacksonf.com, Not and Have Podcast at Jackson F on Facebook. Thanks so much if you do uh, subscribe there. Five star review, that would be amazing on Spotify and on Apple. Leave that written review on Apple, even more amazing. But yeah, if you do nothing else, come back next week. Sure to be another great guest, but thanks so much for your time. Take it away. Bop it. Bop it. Pull it. Pull it. Twist it. Twist it. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome. <laughs>